Whatever you live in this great, big, wonderful, and at times scary world, welcome to the Baltic Triangle Podcast, your monthly appointment to hear from the real movers and shakers of Liverpool City region with me, Mick Ord. And me, Mark Reeson. All right, Mark. Well, how are you anyway, mate? Did you have a good Christmas and New Year and all that? I had a good New Year. Uh, Christmas was a little bit um, disturbed by COVID, unfortunately. But you know what? It seems like a lifetime ago now, Mick. So moving swiftly on. Well, I was I was in self-isolation for 10 days over Christmas anyway. Joined the family via FaceTime from my bedroom and got meals cooked for me three times a day. Eh? That hasn't happened since I was 17. Anyway. It's not ideal, but it's all done now. Of course it is. Well, before we hear from our guests today, and we've got some cracking interviewees, let me tell you about the Baltic Triangle podcast. The Baltic Triangle podcast is powered by Talk Talk's Future Fibre, which has now arrived here in Liverpool. Future Fibre broadband is ultra-fast and ultra-reliable, with speeds up to a whopping 900 megabit. It's fast enough to handle anything you throw at it, plus you can connect over 75 devices at once. So bye-bye fighting over the Wi-Fi. As if you couldn't get any better, Future Fibre plans now come with an Amazon Eero Mesh router. So you get the latest in Wi-Fi 6 tech for free. To see if your postcode can get Future Fibre, search Talk Talk Future Fibre now. Well, in the Baltic Triangle podcast today, we have very much a TV and film theme. On BBC One and BBC iPlayer from the 24th of January, there starts a brand new police and crime drama, The Responder, starring that wonderful actor Martin Freeman. It's a new series which the BBC has shown great faith in and has been written by none other than the Liverpool writer Tony Schumacher, a former cop himself who has an impressive record of novels to his name. But Tony has now turned his hand to his first TV series. He says he's keen not just to show the usual shots of Liverpool that you always see, like the Liver Buildings and the Mersey Ferry, but the places where real people live. What I've set out to do is not have it all about the city centre. I love the city centre. I grew up in it, you know, hanging around with my mates and all that. I love it. I wanted it to be to show Bootle. I wanted to show Walton. I wanted to show Anfield, Egbeth, Calderstones. I wanted to go to all these different places and show it, not just the bits we're familiar with. And this month, I've been on location myself when I went to meet Claire and Faye Newton from Liverpool Locations to find out what they do and hear about their plans to address a shortage of skills in the industry with their intensive one-day training courses for film and TV location assistants. So at the moment, we're looking to set up a kind of one-day intense training course for location assistants. The course will give them a solid foundation about their location department and what's involved. And we can even chat to them on those days as well if they decide they're slightly interested in another department, we will help. We'll help them with CVs, we'll help them with getting into the industry, the set etiquette, that will give them a good understanding of what other departments do. And we'll be hearing a lot more from Claire and Faye Newton a bit later. Tony Schumacher's day has come. The former Merseyside policeman has just written a brand new series for BBC One starring Martin Freeman called The Responder. In fact, you've probably seen the trailers for it on the telly. Tony spent 11 years as a police responder answering emergency calls, 
while at Merseyside Police. He's also driven a taxi and for a while did a huge amount of traveling around the world. In fact, for a while, he was very much down in the dumps as well, living in his car, for God's sake, with only his dog for company. So he's seen life. He's written a number of well-received novels, but the responder takes him to another level. And he's got a fascinating story to tell. And in many ways, writing the TV series fulfills a long-held ambition of Tony's, as he told me. Let's start halfway through. I was a copper um, for like 11 years, um, but I always wanted to write. That was one thing that was always in me. I always wanted to do something different. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't... My dad always used to say, we don't go work at a factory, but I was thick. That was always my thing. I was really thick. And people think I'm being bashful or I'm being a bit funny, but I wasn't. I was genuinely thick. You know, I just had no education whatsoever. I just was not interested. But I always wanted to be a writer. And the only thing, we were surrounded by books as kids. My dad couldn't read and write, but my mum was like, my mum had missed out on a university education because her dad wouldn't let her go. Uh, and my dad had um, been a kid during the war and just hadn't gone to school, basically. So he had no uh, skills in that department. But we grew up surrounded by books, and that's what I wanted to do. Books and films, that was all I was interested in. Um, and I went to school, and the only thing I tried harder was English. That was it. That was all I was interested in. And maths, not bothered. Um, geography, not bothered. Weirdly, geography is my only all level. Um, I did just literally just not interested in anything. And then I failed me English O level. I got a, a U in my English O level, which is unclassified. unclassified. Oh, yeah. no. And I, I cried all the way home. No. I was 16, I cried all the way home. Because I just, like, this is how stupid I was, mate. I thought, well, if you get your English O level, you just become a writer. Yeah, that's what it must be, must it? You know what I mean? I was that stupid, you know, that I thought that once you got that, I'll just go in and tell someone I'm to be a writer and I'll become a writer. But I didn't, uh, I was so thick and I ended up becoming a roofer. And I, I sort of wonder now if that's because I thought they both started with, ah, you know, and I thought I'll just become you know, because I was that thick. So I'll become a roofer. Um, and luckily enough, the guy who ran the roofing company, a fellow called Dave Cato, worked for Chestnut Roofing. Uh, and Dave Cato kind of shook me by the throat, literally, and said, listen, you can't, you've got to get your finger out, you've got to do some work. So what I did was, I travelled for years, I did just a myriad of rubbish jobs and good jobs, um, and I ended up being a copy. Not through any kind of vocation. I mean, how old was I when I was young the police? I think I was 30 when I was young the police. It wasn't a vocation. It was just, I thought I would pay the mortgage. Yeah. And I had resigned myself to settling down. I just thought, you know what, you're dirty. You haven't done anything yet. Um, so just do this. And that was it. So I become a copy I, because I had an E in metalwork and I found out that an E in metalwork would go with my grade C in geography and classes to all levels. And that way, in those days, the busies would accept you with two all levels. I mean, I scraped in with them. Well, that, that was a close one, wasn't well, it? Oh, mate, it really was under the wire. And the guy who, uh, who interviewed me, I remember years later, I met him and he was laughing and he said, you were the one who just got in under the wire. He said, we kind of went, so go on, let him in, you know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised he don't come back to, uh, for me wages. But um, I did that. And then I got to 40 odd and I just thought, and, you know, I got a divorce, I was fed up. I think I was having a breakdown. Well, I wasn't. I don't think I was having a breakdown. I was having a breakdown. Just divorced, fed up, and just miserable with my life. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do, and that was be a writer. 
So I made like a conscious decision. But I've got to be, you know, at this point, I quit the police. At this point, I was living in a car with a dog. I'd lost everything. I'd lost my house. I'd lost everything. It's just completely gone. And uh, I just decided I have nothing to lose. I'm going to become a writer. And here I am, 10 years later, I've pulled it off. It's an amazing, it really is a literally a rags to riches story from the time you were in, you know, yeah, living in the car with your dog. Totally isn't it? Crosby Beach, yeah, you know, and it's kind of funny in a way because when I tell the story, like so many times with interviews and stuff, and occasionally it hits you, it's just hit me just then. Occasionally it hits me, and I think, God, that's it, yeah, I pulled it off. I, I managed to do it because. You know, you rattle off these stories, but just then it just really caught me. And I thought, I'm mad start like that. I managed to get away with it to this extent that I'm writing this for the BBC now, you know. It's weird. Or just finished it. Well, you've written a couple of novels, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you had The Darkest Hour, The British Lion, An Army of One. That's right. Yeah. And then you did a handful of other stories, The um, the Review Mirror, the stories yeah, of that. Right. I imagine I'm a, I, I imagine the responder is based more or less on your time at the police, is it? It's kind of vaguely based on it. Uh, we can't say too much at the moment because the uh, the press office will break my legs. But um, it's kind of what we've done is I've created the world for a character called Chris, who's being played by Martin Freeman, to live in. And there's parts of me in Chris, and there's parts of the world that I inhabited. Um, when I was a copper, is in there. But what I've done is, because it's difficult being a busy, you know, you're not, you know, listen, you're not a doctor, you know, it's not like patient confidentiality. But you are dealing with sensitive issues and, and people who are in bad places. A copper said to me when I first you know, the job, you're never going to knock on the door and tell someone they won the lottery, you know. No. It's never going to happen. So what I've decided to do quite early on, I thought, I'll, I'll protect the people whose lives... I interacted with you during that period. So I've, I've tried to take a little bit from over here and a little bit from over there and I've created the story and a little bit from this job and a little bit from that job. So it's authentic, but there's no particular jobs that I've done. What I've done is I've just drawn from all those years of being busy and, and put them into the pot and give it a stay, you know. And a responder is somebody that takes the 999 calls. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of why I bet it's out, really. Uh, it's, you are basically, you're the 999 car. You're the one who goes around kicking in doors and, you know, rolling around in living rooms or outside pubs and stuff. And uh, I did that for like a, nearly 12 years. And it's too long, I think, personally. I know Bobby's who did it for 30 years and they come right through it. But for me, personally, I think I was too sensitive as all, you know. Right. But I think... After a while, it, it wears you down, it wore me down, it took off parts of my personality that enabled me to be to cope. Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of wore, it, it wore me away and there was a few things that definitely left me with PTSD, although at the time I didn't realise. So I, I just kept bumbling through and getting worse and worse and worse and then eventually fell out the bottom, you know, that was it, walked away. And what's it like having someone with um, Martin Freeman's pedigree? I mean, he's he's a great actor, isn't he? He is phenomenal. Martin is phenomenal. I was on set yesterday. It's been difficult to spend too much time on set because of COVID and, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're having to be so careful with so much money involved and people's health as well. Like, But um, I've gotten to know Martin over this, like, 18-month period. Um, I'll tell you the first time I met him. The first time I met him, I gave... What I did, I wrote the script and via a, you know, a, a, 
an interesting route, but a bit long-winded. It ended up in the hands of a company called Dancing Ledge Productions in London. And I knew it was going to end up in their hands really early on. I realised quite early on that it was going to end up in Dancing Ledge's hands. And I'd seen on their website that um, they had a working relationship with Martin. They'd had a relationship with him for, for 10 years. They produced other stuff for Martin over a 10-year uh, period. So what I did quite early on when I was writing is I, I wrote it for Martin. I wrote it as if he'd agreed to me. So I wrote it with, with him in mind for every moment of the, the script. Every time the Chris, the character, was on the page and I was writing, I was seeing Martin acting out those parts, you know, so it was really, it was quite early. So the first time I met Martin, I gave the script to Dancing Ledge and about three days later, they asked me to go down to London for a meeting. And then three days after that, they rang me up and said, listen, Martin wants to meet you. So I said, all right, like, it's not to be that cool, but my head was battered, you know, I said, oh, Martin Freeman wants to meet me, you know. So I went back down to London and I was sitting in this room and he walked in. And the minute he walked in, it wasn't like it wasn't like Martin Free. It wasn't him from the office walking in or Bilbo or you know, wherever he plays. <laughs> to me, it was Chris walking in. Straight away, Chris from the show. It was that was all it was. And we immediately started talking about Chris. And he's just immersed himself in it. He's been incredible for two years now. He's immersed himself in it. His Scouse accent's better than mine. I was going to say, what's his oh, Scouse accent like? Because it's, it's, it's better than mine. And while he's been in Liverpool... I don't believe you. <laughs> do you know what he did? He rang me up the other week and he said, because um, it was masks and, and lockdown was lifted. And he said, I've just been out to buy a coffee in town with my mask on. And he said, and it was brilliant. He said, because I could go out and be... I could just go out and be the scouse lad in the mask. And he said, no one battered my eyelids. He said, I'm just sat on the bench drinking my coffee and having chats to people with my mask on and nobody's <laughs> noticed, you know. But um, it's superb. It's so much so that um, uh, when I hear him now speaking his own voice, it does throw me out a little bit because I'm not used to hearing him. And Chris, because he, he, when he's in Liverpool, he's, he's just scouse. Yeah. And it was only that we went out for dinner the other night, and it, when he turned up, he was speaking in his own voice. And it, honest to God, it took me about 10 minutes to get my head around it. It, it is absolutely superb. And how important is Liverpool to the uh, series, Tony? I, I love Liverpool, Mike. I still live, I still live in Eighton, you know, so I suppose, I, you know, technically some people will say I'm a wolf, but I'm not. But um, <laughs> I, I love Liverpool. I don't necessarily... I saw a brilliant documentary not long ago with... Um, Alan Bleasdale on Sky Arts. I think it was an old South Bank show uh, from about 1980. And um, Alan Bleasdale said, I'm not a Liverpool writer. He said, I'm, I'm a heightened writer. Right. And it was really interesting. And then he went on to explain the difference, which was it, 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 Liverpool, like, is, um, there's like a scouserati, you know, of, of people who... Are involved in the arts and live in Liverpool AC. You know, I love, you know, I've got many mates who are part of that, but I've never felt part of that. And that was what Alan was saying. He's never felt part of that. Probably because I come into it quite late and I forged my own, you know, my own separate route. But Alan was talking about how much he loved the city. Alan, like I know him, I've never met him, you know what I mean? But please, I was talking about like how much he loves the city, but how he feels slightly apart from the city. Because he lives just that little bit house. I know he doesn't now, but he lives just that little bit house. And that's kind of how I feel. Because what I've set out to do is not have it all about the city centre. I love the city centre. I grew up in it, you know, hanging around with my mates and all that. I love it. I wanted it to be to show Bootle 
I wanted to show Walton. I wanted to show Anfield, Egbert, Calderstones. I wanted to go to all these different places and show it not just the bits we're familiar with, not just the cathedrals, and not just. I watched Sin Star the other week and it was brilliant. You know, it was great. There's some brilliant people in it and everything else. But it was a kind of a, a hit praise of there's the Iron Man at Crosby, you know, there's this, there's that, you know, which is fantastic showing all that off. But I wanted to show the actual unpolished, you know, the roughness of it. And that's, I think, that's why it's important to the show. So it, it's not all the lever buildings and the no, ferry and all that. No, 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 you know, and that's not because I don't like the lever builders. I love it all, but I just wanted it to be about, I wanted to show, you know, we've got these brilliant young Liverpool actors in it and I wanted to show people who, you know, we'd recognise from Angan now by outside the office. Okay. I wanted to show that yeah. as well as show the live buildings and the three graces which are ace and everyone's seen them. But I just wanted to, it to be a proper, real show. You know, I sometimes wonder with Liverpool. I love it. And they're so fantastic. I mean, Jesus, Jimmy McGovern, people like that, just absolutely breathtaking writers. Jimmy's good, actually, because Jimmy doesn't do this. But we were sort of attached to the crown jewels of this city a little bit. Yeah. And I think if you film something in Manchester or if you film something in Leeds, they don't say, oh, no, we have to get like the, the, the town hall of Manchester. It's beautiful. We've got to get the town hall in because we're in Manchester. <laughs> they're not asked, you know, to just go and film in Salford or whatever, you know, they don't yeah. care. And I think we sometimes need to do that because we end up with just the same canvas constantly that we're painting on. And I think if we can spread it a little bit wider, the canvas, one, it's good for them areas. Listen, when we were filming on Anfield, you know, there's, there's lads employed there. We've got people going to cafe there. We've got, you know, there's a whole, there's a bit of money going in. Oh, yeah. it's not, it's not hundreds of thousands, but it's a bit of money there. Seeing that people can work in these areas because people are a bit scared of them. Colin McKeown at LA Productions is fantastic for this. Um, LA Productions being a Liverpool production company, he's fantastic because he's just said, no, I'm just going to stick it more. If you want to come to Walton, come to Walton. Yeah. You know, if you want to work with us, come to Walton and see. It, it it makes people, people are scared of these places sometimes. People from Egbert are scared of going to Poole. Yeah. Don't be scared, it's all right. You know what I mean? Well, most of it is. You, you know what I mean? You can go to Poole, you'll be all right. You know, go film on Poole. It doesn't have to be at the docks. It doesn't. Every shot doesn't have to be iconic from no, that point of view. That's right, because, because what you're doing is, one, you're allowing, you know, if, if everything's iconic, it ceases to be iconic because you just end up, oh, there's the lava buildings again. Do you know what I mean? There's a bit of blue neon on, on, on the lava building, great, yeah. But if you don't appreciate it, you know, if you see these wonderful paintings of Turner and stuff, and they're fantastic, they're absolutely incredible, but occasionally there's a little shaft of lightning in the cloud. That's what the, the lava building should be. When we're painting with Liverpool, we should be painting the whole canvas. And then the lava buildings will become a little shaft of lightning in the cloud that stands out. Yeah. But as it is, it doesn't stand out because we've just seen it every time we come down to film. That's not just like a film star. It was ace. It was brilliant. You know, I'm, listen, we have filmed at the Adelphi. Everyone films at the Adelphi. Why not? You know, we have done a few shots at the Adelphi. But I did, I was quite conscious, like, no, I'm going, let's get out to a couple of working men's clubs and let's go out to Heighton. And we're filming at Heighton very, very soon, you know. It's interesting because uh, there's a book just come out by James Corbett called The Outsiders. Mm. And James, um, it's his first novel, though he's written lots of uh, factual books in the past. And his novel, and he was a guest on the podcast, his novel is about people in this area, in his case from Crosby, being outsiders to the city centre. 
and the outsiders, the corners, are where the best stories are. Absolutely, they are. Absolutely. When I drove the cab, I drove the cab for like four years when I was um, finding my feet as a writer. Um, and what, what started me off was writing those little stories. I started writing for a, a magazine called Liverpool Confidential. A, a lady called Angie Salmons was running it back then. And uh, she started buying these little columns off me, these little thousand-word, 800-word columns that were like little vignettes of stories that would happen in the cab. And I find those incredible stories, those little moments of drama in the cab between two people talking or three people talking or, you know, whatever, I find them fascinating, you know, they're so interesting, yet they never get a chance. And that's what I've tried to do with this. We call them Responder Beats. We've tried Responder's the name of the show. And what we tried to do is capture these little dramas within a drama on a day-to-day basis. These little dramas within dramas that seem nothing, but are actually everything. The Shakespeare in everyone's life, we're all living Shakespeare. You know, we don't realise it, but we all are. You know, when you go home and sweat about, you know, the cat's got fleas, that's a that's a big thing to you. It's emotion and stuff. And if you can capture that and figure out a way to use it, that's you're laughing. You've just you've got it. So you've just finished filming the responder, have you? Yeah. And then what? What's your next big project? Are you ha- or are you just gonna lie down in the dark room for six months? I wish I could lie down in the dark room for six months, Mick. I've got um, I'm writing uh, another show for another production company at the moment, which we're open, it's gonna get picked up. Um and I've pitched three shows to a a fairly big production company which I've got meetings about really soon. You can't take your foot off your gas. You just this is like what I always say to to new writers. You cannot take your foot off the gas. You just can't. You can't afford to. And, and you know, that that minute while you're thinking, oh, I'll just have two weeks off is the minute when somebody's or them two weeks is when somebody takes a meeting that pinches your yeah. your spec. You cannot do it. You can't afford to, especially if you start out. So the way I'm looking at it, although technically I've written the books and I've been writing now full time for like six years, seven years, I still until maybe when the sponsors out, if it goes well, he's on with my flop. But until the sponsors out, foot on the gas, keep pushing, keep pushing. So no holidays for me, mate. <laughs> Simple as that. Keep going. Wow. What an incredible journey that guy's been on, Mick. And uh, yet again, you seem to have unearthed a local gem there, Mick. Well, weirdly, Mark, he's the cousin of a really good mate of mine. And uh, he's been telling me over the years, oh, he's written this novel and he's written another novel. And then he comes out with this. And I think what's inspiring to me about Tony is that he was told at school he was absolutely thick. I mean, and he said it in the interview, I was thick. And I kind of felt a bit uncomfortable listening to that. I thought, well, somebody tells you you're thick enough times and you start to believe it. Yeah. And then he comes out doing this. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a real hard worker. He's a, read, he's, he's a self-confessed workaholic. And I saw him working on parts of the Responder um, in the Baltic Triangle a couple of months ago. And he was working there day and night just in the office where I work. Um, what a guy. And it's just, I really hope it goes down well. I really hope we're all going to watch it. And I really hope it gets a second series. He's attracted Marty Freeman to play the lead role. So I'm sure it will be a success, Mick. Yeah, I really hope so. Martin Freeman does not do rubbish. Well, good luck to Tony and good luck to Martin Freeman as well in The Responder. 
It starts on BBC One and BBC iPlayer on the 24th of January, and I can't wait to see it. Liverpool is one of the most filmed cities in the UK, and Liverpool locations find and manage film locations for feature films, TV dramas and commercials. Claire and Faye Newton have a combined industry experience of over 42 years, with the northwest of Liverpool being their particular speciality. I met up with them on set, where I asked them what it is they do and why there's such a high demand for their services in our city. Liverpool Locations is a business. Um, it's myself and my sister, Faye. We are both Liverpool-born location managers. For anyone who doesn't know what a location manager does, we find and manage locations for TV and film productions. Very early on, we read the script with the director and the designer. Um, we look at the script and decide what you know, if there's pubs or houses or streets or beaches or cliffs. We discuss with the designer and the director what type of street, what type of pub, what type of house. We look at the script and see what happens in these locations. As the location manager, you then go out and you scout these locations. You try and find you know, as many as you can that fit the brief and also will facilitate the big crew and its circus that comes with it. Um, we generally take photographs and videos. We bring them back to the director and the designer. They then whittle it down to the ones that they want to recce. Then they decide the one that they actually want to film at. And after that, we do our prep, um, don't we, and then manage it. At the moment, we're filming um, all our jobs in Liverpool. So we speak to the Liverpool Film Office and the police, traffic management, and we look after the residents and all the businesses and make sure they're happy as well. If you're on a shoot, you could be on a three-month shoot. Um, and yeah, we're there throughout the whole shoot, making sure the crew have got everything they need. I think our motto is, um, and we always say this to anyone that ever trains with us, we want to leave the location as found or better in some cases, which we have done when we've um, redecorated and then put it back to how the location owner wants it. Um, but yeah, the, it's such an important department. Um, you know, sometimes I think we get overlooked. It's not very well known. Um, so when we discuss it with people, people do think, my God, it's so interesting because, you know, you are, you know, our creative input, which you never would have thought about, is that the directors and the designers only choose from the locations that we actually find and we we offer up to them um so in that sense when you you know you're looking at it on the telly you're like oh god i'm so glad that they did go for that one because it actually meant we had a lot more parking than we would have had if they'd gone for the other one um so sometimes you can't, you're quite relieved aren't you when they, they go for those things as someone who's worked in the film and tv industry uh, i think location services are incredibly important a good location manager is pretty much invisible uh, and yet they're someone who's been involved from conception right the way through to completion of a film. If you're not in the industry, you wouldn't realise that the room that you're actually filming in, you need a space that's probably five times that big for, you know, all the monitors and all the cast green rooms um, and then obviously all the parking that comes with it. I've spent years analysing television uh, now, so when I look, I'm always thinking where did they put all the vans? Where was the crew? Where was the camera? Where were all the monitors? Um, so that always fascinates me. Why is it so good to have your business in Liverpool? Well, Liverpool is so busy at the moment. I mean, we have the most amazing film office. We were born and bred in Liverpool um, and started our careers here. It's a place that we want to work. And we also champion the city and, and you know, the inward investment that filming brings. What is it about Liverpool then that lends itself so so well for location services? 
It's the architecture. You can cheat Liverpool for anything. You can cheat it for Moscow. You can cheat it for London in the in the 1900s. You cheat it for New York. And you can cheat Liverpool for all different types of periods. But also it's incredibly film friendly. Um, the people help a lot. The film office, as I've already said, um, are so receptive to anything that comes. You know, they will sit and they will listen to any pitch that um, regardless of how big or disruptive it will be, it's something that they will always listen to and consider because, you know, to have a film crew here, um, they're staying in our hotels, they use our taxis, they use our restaurants, they go to our shops and they also use local crew. So, you know, what's not to like about that? As you rightly point out, um, there's an underlying uh, importance to bringing in film industry here. You might not realise just how important it is to the economy of the city and the region. What kind of examples can you give me of, of exactly how many uh, films there are being made here at any one given time? Well, um, I think just before we locked down, um, 2019 was a really good year for Liverpool. Um, I think they racked up, I think, approximately like 1,700 production days. Um, um, you know, you're talking about, that's about... I don't think it's it's more nearly 400 more days in 2018, and I think what the stats say, local economy. Um, I think the the boost to the local economy was like 17.6 million, um, which was an increase of like one and a half from the year before. So it's a great time to be offering this service in Liverpool. Give me some examples of films that have been made here recently, Faye. Um, I've worked on quite a few recently. Um... During lockdown, I was very lucky that actually um, I didn't slow down too much because I we've actually got such a huge database between myself and Claire of locations in Liverpool. There was quite a few productions that were asking us to scout um, so everything was ready to hit the ground running as soon as lockdown opened. So we were very lucky to have the database there and scout using the database. And then when it opened up slightly, I was able to go and get new pictures of places and move forward with those productions. One of those was the Ipcress file, um, which is an ITV production. Um, I think it'll be out in the new year, either January or February. Um, also, Funny Girl is another um, 1960s production um, that should be out in the new year, still filming as we speak. Um, and yeah, that was a great one. So that one was one where I was scouting on all the way through till they started filming. Um, I didn't location manage that one, um, but I did do tons of the scouting for it. And there was a couple of others during lockdown as well that I was also scouting on, just ready to prep for them to come to film. So yeah, for there was tons of productions waiting to kind of come to the city as soon as they could. So you mentioned COVID then. I mean, obviously that's had a massive impact on the way productions run and it's had a very big impact on the production process itself. But uh, this has been a bit bittersweet for your part of the industry. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was devastating when it when we locked down. I think there was a lot of people that fell through the gap um, and were out of work for a very long time with actually no opportunity for any grants. But then obviously now that it's opened up, we are super busy everywhere. The whole of the UK is, is super busy, um, but you know, there's been a backlog, hasn't there? So, um, which then unfortunately opens up and we realise that we have a skills shortage because there's not enough people to deal with it. And obviously coming back into COVID, all the COVID protocols that were involved to get everybody safely back into production was costing and is costing a hell of a lot of money. 
So on the bigger dramas and feature films, they were having to PCR test uh, cast and crew um, and form bubbles, basically, um, so that they could actually break the two metre rule and crew and cast could be close together and, and you know, act. Uh, the productions that didn't have, that don't have large budgets uh, weren't able to PCR test. Um, and that includes a lot of the soaps. Um, so obviously everything on screen is, you know, two metres. That's still happening at the moment. I think the productions are starting to be able to relax some of their protocols but that has been really tricky and difficult and actually um, it sometimes doubles your workload when you're thinking that you know even when they every the crew break and have to go and have their lunch they have to sit two meters apart it has become really tricky but I am I'm just really proud of everyone and how we've been able to you know get things back on the telly because um you know Netflix was going to run out eventually (laughs) I think it's fair to say as well that one of the things that's been really impressive you know from my viewpoint has been just how pioneering some of the things that we've introduced in the film industry have been you know we were first in to you know hit those challenges head on and we were we we made ourselves go out and and still continue to produce even though there were so many challenges around weren't there yeah, I just think it's been incredibly difficult and, and people have just been so clever with these initiatives. And, you know, obviously we've had, we've, you know, we've, you know, people have followed other people's leads. And if someone's got a really good idea of how to do things, I mean, the amount of things that, you know, we've tried, you know, Perspex screens, um, you know, um, we've brought in actors, partners that actually look like their on-screen partner and film them from the, from the back of their heads while they do a kissing scene. You know, there's all sorts of things that you never thought would um, exist but uh, there's been a hell of a lot of diversification and and invention Um, yeah so I just again I'm just amazed you mentioned there the skill shortage so um, what can we do about that and more importantly what can we do about it that's going to have a positive impact on our region yeah, there is a huge skill shortage. Um, I, the last two jobs I were on, I could see that the production team were just phoning, you know, maybe a good 70 people before they got maybe someone on the crew. I've never seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, but for us as a department, as locations, um, we used to get people in every time we were on location for work experience to try and bring people into the industry, teach them as much as we could in a day. Um, and even see what department, whether it wasn't locations, we'd say, do you want to look at, meet the other department? Do you want to meet makeup or lighting? Let us know and we will introduce you to them. So they'd have a day with us and we'd feel like we were trying to help people get into the industry as much as we could. Um, but because of COVID, we can't do that. And we haven't done that for a long time. We haven't been able to find the new location people that we were finding through that work experience. So at the moment, we're looking to set up a kind of one day intense training course for location assistants. The course will give them a solid foundation about their location department and what's involved. And we can even chat to them on those days as well if they decide they're slightly interested in another department, we will help. We'll help them with CVs, we'll help them with getting into the industry, the set etiquette, that will give them a good understanding of what other departments do. We're probably only second behind London in the amount of productions that are going to come into the the country. We've got Hollywood blockbusters coming in now. And I really want to see young people from Liverpool taking up those opportunities. So how can we do that? What can Liverpool locations do to help that? Um, Prior to COVID, we used to always have a work experience person with us on set. Um, we've got a long list of people that have, have, have emailed us over the years and, and just to try and, you know, get their foot in the door because that's what we had, you know, we had to do. It's so hard to get your foot in the door. 
And from those people, we found, you know, really good people that we actually have employed ourselves as location assistants and recommended to other people. Um, but because of COVID, that's gone away. We can't do that anymore. We're working with reduced crews um, and you can't have an extra person with you. So where this course that we've been talking about for years, we're actually going to do it now. And we really hope, well, we know <laughs> that when they, fin- they complete this course, it will give them an advantage. They will know so much. They will be set ready. Um, we'll be able to recommend them to other people. Trust that we've taught them the, the basics so that they know that they can bring them on um, with the confidence that, you know, they're going to know, you know, how to put an easy up up, how to change a bin. It does sound like they're the most basic things in the world, but they're not. A crew at full pelt is like a well-oiled machine. It's very, very easy to feel like you're spun out on the edges of it. And, and you know, I know that for a fact. And so consequently, having people that fall in line, that can work easily in a team, that can be moulded into any department at all, that can seamlessly think on their feet and, and jump from one situation to another to another with solutions is incredibly important, isn't it? Absolutely. I always liken the the crew on a daily basis to being like a, a set of cogs in a wheel. Um, if one of those cogs is running slow, so if someone isn't performing or they're not working hard or they're not paying attention, then that one cog will slow the rest of the thing down. So it is it is a fast paced industry. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, there are long hours and it's not glamorous, the things that sometimes I've had to get my rubber gloves on for. But saying that, it's so rewarding and satisfying to come home at the end of the day, a long day, of course, knowing that you've solved a load of problems that you didn't even know were going to happen. You know, the shoot got it got done. Uh, we wrapped on time. You know, it's it, yeah, it's nothing like it. Part of the course, um, we're actually going to talk about the mental health side of things as well, just to make sure because we know that it's such a it can be a tough industry. It's an amazing industry, but as Claire mentioned, it can be long hours. Um, sometimes you can be away from home, depending on where the production is. So it's just good that to advise people where they can look for help if they need it, if they are struggling, if they're tired, places they go to and people to speak to if they feel like they can't talk to anyone on set at that particular time. It's a really important point to make. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's great that you're around that and you're going to throw that into the mix as well. I think that's really important. Is there a specific sort of person who who would who this would appeal to? Yeah, there's no experience necessary, particularly to get into the location department. I just think you know, ideally, we'd love you. You need to have a driving license. Um, <laughs> we have to go all over the place at all different random times, so you know that is quite important. Um, but yeah, we gen- I generally look, and so does Faye, for people with um, some common sense, some good people skills, um, uh, time management, and uh, multitaskers, um, and people that don't mind getting their hands dirty. You know, there is certain. Um, you know, we're we're very hands on, so it does require. Um, someone to not worry about you know their nails so give me some sense of what it is that you love about this job I love that you're not in one place at one time you're in so many different locations you meet so many amazing different people and the different people that you meet on the crew are just from all over the world the places that you get to is are unreal um and places that people haven't been to for years or people just would never see. Um, so that's the exciting thing, thinking you found everything or you've been and you do end up going to a lot of the same locations because they're epic and amazing. And Liverpool has some unreal places that we film at. But every single job, we still find these hidden gems, which is amazing. 
every day is different. That's what I love about it. Every day is different. Um, and yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, standing out in the rain for 12 hours, um, you know, doesn't sound appealing, but um, you're. All, I think it's the banter on set that helps the crew. Everyone pulls together. I don't think you could do, you know, a 14 hour day without the banter, um, without the camaraderie, you know, without the teamwork. It feels like a family um, when you're on a job and, um, you know, it's, uh, and you're just have a big drunken party at the end and say goodbye but more often than not because the industry is so small you will work with those people again so yeah that's the sort of thing that I love about it. So how important do you think it is for us to continue to be seen as a place for people to bring their productions to here in Liverpool? I think it's incredibly important for the city and for the people that live here because we just we've just got so much talent in this city and we can see already what Liverpool can provide for film and TV productions it's just incredible what they what what can be seen on screen um but also facilitated off screen so easily the residents that obviously live here the people of Liverpool the film office who who just facilitate you know facilitate give us the permits advise us if it's something that isn't doable, you know, we can't shut this road on this day, they will always come with an alternative. But what about offering you this road on this day? Um, you know, so it, it's it's just they're open and they're friendly. And I think the whole city does that. And, and I know we know that we get repeat productions coming back because uh, they return all the time because they've had such a great time. So. We've talked a little bit about the future for Liverpool as a filming hub. Let's talk about the future for Liverpool locations then with this training. How can people keep in touch with what you're doing with regards to your training courses? Um, well, obviously, they can follow us on all of the socials, Facebook, Insta, um, Twitter, but we've got a website as well, www.liverpoollocations.com, um, where we will update um, with our course information, um, when, they, when we're going to run them, what those courses involve, how much they cost. Um, but obviously, anyone if wants to contact us for any reason, all of our details are on the website. We also have an Instagram and Twitter, which are both at LiveLox, which is L-I-V-L-O-C-S. And so that'll have all the news of the courses as and when you roll them out. I just want to say thank you very, very much for pulling yourselves away from uh, your jobs because we're actually on a live set right now. You've come away from location managing into a room uh, to one side and, and done this. So thank you so, so much. And uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you and uh, hopefully I'll see you on set very soon. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. Claire and Faye Newton there. Great story to tell. And TV programmes like The Respondent and the many other films and TV series that are set in Liverpool, it's, it's slowly created a good industry, isn't it, Mark? Indeed it is, Mick. And uh, their January course was fully booked almost immediately. But for anyone who's interested in another one, there's one scheduled now for the 25th of February. So if you're interested, you can email them at hello at liverpoollocations.com for more details. But again testament to exactly how successful this city has become as a film and location, Mick. Uh, definitely. Um, and I, I can only see that improving over the years as well with the revamped uh, and renovated Little Woods building on Edge Lane. You know, when that, in fact, what we ought to do, Mark, is we ought to invite someone 
into the podcast to talk about that because it's been hanging around for a while, hasn't it? And there was that awful fire there a couple of years ago. But I think work has started on the refurbishment of that building. And when that's finished, it's really going to put us on the map. So let's get someone in. Absolutely. I can't wait to see that, that studio open. And along with it, no doubt, it'll also bring many, many more jobs and much more industry like that to the city again. Yeah. Well, today's episode of the Baltic Triangle podcast has been powered by Talk Talk's Future Fibre, the UK's fastest and most reliable broadband technology, which is now available here in Liverpool. Search Talk Talk Future Fibre to find out more. Well, that's all from the podcast today. Many thanks for listening. Share, review, rate, tell your mates about it. Any ideas that you've got as guests, please email us. It's info at BalticTrianglePodcast.com. That's info at BalticTrianglePodcast.com. And you'll be hearing from us again in a month's time. So do subscribe and rate and review. And thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.